From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Oh yes, Mr. Rob Brim. Thank you very much. Mates, Mike, it's Mike Davidson lives. Thank you for downloading this latest episode, recording this Sunday night with about 95% of my voice back. Just whispering because there are sleeping people in this house. And just, just because the studio is sound treated doesn't mean it's soundproof. I mean, I, you know, I, I got padding up and down all these walls here uh, to basically mitigate any, uh, any echo, make it sound a little professional, but it, does, uh, it doesn't keep my voice from booming out uh, through the floors and through the walls. I got kind of a loud voice, so that, that said, uh, it is great to actually talk again without pain. Uh, I felt kind of bad, though, I mean, because this, this started up last week. Uh, I started feeling down uh, just before my sisters and my brother-in-law came up for the visit. That was fine, but, like, I, I was developing a cold. I knew I was, and then it just kicked my ass getting back to work because I had the week off before, and so that, that whole idea of coming back to work and relaxed and refreshed that was way out the window and uh, throughout the week i was dealing with everything except except for the aches and the chills and the fever it was just basically congested and ugh. and then uh, you know friday i finally turned a corner by got home late and my wife was in bed she was like mike is that you and i was like what and she was I, I lost my voice and I felt bad because I knew where she got that from. I lost my voice pretty much Thursday. And so um, Saturday was kind of a, a chore for her to talk and everything. But she, she's a lot better and heading back to work tomorrow, as am I. Um, but uh, a fun night tonight. Um, I finally got around to doing it again. Kind of an annual tradition. An annual tradition for a lot of uh, families in the Fort Wayne area. Uh, Fantasy of Lights at Franke Park. It's put on by the uh, the folks at Blue Jacket, and it's a, it's an organization that helps people uh, that are dealing with mental and physical disabilities or have been down and out dealing with uh, past addiction problems and, and getting them back into the workforce. And uh, it's a very cool thing. But every year they uh, they put on this light show uh, with uh, local sponsors, local businesses. Always a lot of fun. Um, and, and, you know, we were both feeling, me and the wife, we were both feeling run down and everything. But uh, I took uh, I took some Advil, manned up, and my wife was like, all right, I'll, I'll drive us out there. Uh, she was she was reluctant just because, you know, she just got done working and she's exhausted from all things. But uh, as soon as we got there and she heard the kids ooh and all, that changed immediately. She loved it. And, and this thing is like, we've been there, uh, uh, God, how many times have we gone now? Four or five times? And, uh, you know, it's, it's great work, but, you know, you're just like, well, we've seen Christmas lights before, but, you know, when you're with a kid, uh, like, like Lana or Hazel or even Logan, it just makes it worth all that much. And we even actually stopped over for the first time to have the kids meet Santa. That was cool. Lana was excited. She even loved going, man, I, I think that was even the real Santa dad. And I was like, you know, okay. And, uh, yeah, she, she told him that she wanted, you know, this and that. Uh, Hazel, I, I got a picture of Lana next to Santa. Hazel did not want to do this. I think this was the first time Lana has met Santa. And so she, at the age of five, she, she can better process things. And, okay, I know who this is. I'm cool with it. Hazel, on the other 
other hand. I think she knew it was Santa, but she didn't want to stand next to him, so she uh, just nervously grabbed my leg, and I was hobbling around trying to take Lana's picture. I was able to get her picture, um, no problem. But uh, both of them posed by some lights, so that was cool. And uh, again, we had a blast tonight. Um, but uh, I don't, I don't recall ever having xenophobia growing up. I, my, I know Jacob, my brother, did a little bit. He got over that, and went the older he got. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if Lana would have had that if she was Hazel's age. But that, you know, you're just kind of picking at things here. But uh, a nice family night overall. I did get a chance to finish up uh, uh, story, uh, the Storyteller, a book uh, by Dave Grohl, Fruit Fighters fame. Uh, he basically wrote this during the pandemic because there was nothing else to do, and uh, he he got it. He has to like get all that energy out. Uh, it's a great book, man. Um, a fun read. Um, I was a little nervous when my wife got this for me for my anniversary because uh, when a rock star, when an actor, when anybody shares anything with you. You don't know what you're in for and if you're going to enjoy it. If it's going to be a bunch of personal attacks or if it's going to be highly political. And, you know, I, I know that uh, Dave and me, our, our um, worldviews don't necessarily align, but the dude is just a, a great ambassador for rock. Um, and he alludes to the fact that, like, when he was at the White House when George W. Bush was president, that uh, their political ideals didn't uh, align, but... Uh, he made an effort to be, you know, a gracious guest, and uh, yeah, he, he doesn't get preaching the book, so that, that was a welcome relief. I mean, you know, he's he's honest who he is, but he didn't go on and on about policies. He was talking about rock stories and his love of music, and uh, I, I I totally respect him for that. And uh, it was just a great book, and it's amazing to me that a guy like him uh, can be both friends with like great Lemmy from Motorhead and Sir Paul McCartney. I mean, two different spectrums on the rock scale there, but, uh, yeah, he was just, uh, he, he, just like you, like me, a great big fan of the genre. A couple of interesting things about this book, because, uh, you know, he, he mentions everything from his, um, you know, early punk rock days in the D.C. area, uh, era, area, uh, to being in Nirvana, and, of course, Foo Fighters, Queens of the Stone Age, drumming with him for a little bit, uh, in all of his friendships. There is one name that does not make an appearance at all in this book and it is the name belonging to Courtney Love he doesn't even mention her um, and uh, it, it just kind of stems from the fact that there's there's kind of like this low simmering feud between the two and I think if, if I was to hazard a guess Dave left her name out because he doesn't want no trouble he mentions Kurt and reveres Kurt and uh and talks about his days in Nirvana, but they, and he even mentions uh, Kurt's daughter a little bit, but uh, no mention of the missus. So, yeah, I, I don't think Dave wanted any trouble. Um, one thing that uh, kind of hit home for me, uh, kind of, sort of, um, I had no idea how much of a caffeine fiend Dave Grohl was. And there was a part in the book where he was, uh, he just turned uh, 40, and he thought he was having a heart attack, so he goes to the doctor. They find nothing wrong with his heart, and uh, he talks about all the coffee he drinks. Um, right now, I'm sipping on um, uh, like my third and final cup of coffee for the day, uh, just to get to the podcast here. Dave Grohl at one point was drinking seven pots of coffee. That's nutty, dude. Um, I mean, this is a guy that likes to, you know, 
have his fair share of booze and um, and some other fun chemicals. Coffee, man, I mean, it's a great thing to drink, but you, you don't want to freaking overdo it because it will make your heart race. But I thought about that, and I'm like, you know what? Uh, there has been some heart issues in my family. Maybe I don't... Um, I, maybe I don't even get near a pot a day. You know, keep it in a couple of cups, spread it out throughout the day, and um, be all right. Maybe I even drink tea. I'm not sure how well that's going to manage, but uh, kind of kind of a common ground with Dave there. Uh, not necessarily that I'm drinking some pots of coffee, but you know, you want to pump the brakes and make sure uh, you're not overdoing things. Okay, so um, last last episode, you know, I recorded that late, and thankfully I did because uh, you know I talked about the trade, and everybody's got opinions about it, and uh, it's I don't think I don't think it was a great deal, not necessarily because Brittany Griner came home. Like you look, I I'm not the biggest fan of hers in the world. Um, and she shouldn't have been over in Russia to begin with playing basketball, especially given all the strict rules they have about things like, I don't know, pot, or the fact that uh, she herself is a lesbian, or the fact that we're at war with them by proxy with uh, Ukraine. Um, but uh, it, it kind of sucks because you got this Marine Paul Wellen over there, and uh, I'm sure his family would love to see him come home. And uh, that... That's going to take some doing. Um, there's been some conflicting reports, though, about uh, or, you know Russians gave them a choice, either Brittany or or uh, Wellen, and they chose Brittany, or there was something that uh, fell through with Wellen. You, you don't know because, A, you can't trust Russia, and B, you can't trust our media. Um, but that's, that's still going to be kind of a black eye, diplomatically speaking. And, and there's a lot of people that are saying, well, you know, uh, this, uh, this uh, Victor Bout, this merchant of death, is is no high priority for Russia. Um, and he even said it so himself in an interview with Russia state media. Um, and uh, during the interview, he was praising Putin and he was supporting the war in Ukraine, supporting Russia's invasion of it. So basically, this was to strengthen uh, the, the look of Putin to uh, Russian citizens and to promote the war. And basically, uh, Mr. Bout here is being used as, um, even if he agrees with Putin, he's being used as a propaganda piece. So there's that. Um, and it's and I, I even said in the last podcast, uh, what would Zelensky and the Ukrainians think about giving this douchebag back to Mother Russia? And in the very least, he's being used as a propaganda agent. Now, I don't know if he's got any connections that could uh, also benefit in the long run uh, Putin being in Russia, but you know he's going to ask him. Now, you know, there's some people on the left uh, that are like, well, you know, Putin's going to get rid of uh, this Victor Bout one day. And it's like, yeah, you know, you're probably not wrong. But for the meantime, he's going to let him live and, you know, see what he can get out of him. And so far, working out all right on that, I guess. Yikes. Um, okay, so... Uh, World Cup is wrapping up, and the United States has been long, uh, long, long uh, eliminated about a week ago against the Netherlands. I, yeah, that game, like, I know nothing about soccer, but looking up that score at halftime, 
2-0, um, and then they fell 3-1. I got that that was not going to be a game they were going to recover against. But, uh, you know, there, there's been some criticisms of uh, uh, Qatar. And, and a few podcasts back, I made light about a sports journalist showing up in a rainbow t-shirt and, uh, you know, gay rights and everything, and they wouldn't let him in the stadium because Qatar doesn't take kindly to that type of mentality. And I and I kind of j- chided this journalist because it's like, well, a t-shirt's not going to change anybody's mind. And that's about as far as I go when it comes to a guy uh, like Grant Wall. Uh, he's, a, he's a renowned soccer reporter, podcaster. He used to do stuff for Sports Illustrated and some other networks. And, you know, he was a big soccer nut. And apparently he wore that T-shirt because uh, his brother's gay, and he's doing that uh, in, in support of his brother. You know, he's supporting family and all that. Okay, fine. Uh, he died in the press box. He, he, he collapsed uh, like days ago. Very weird, mysterious circumstances. Uh, the guy was 48. I wouldn't say that's necessarily ancient. Uh, I guess he was in pretty good shape. Um, but, you know, after after that and the fact that he was questioning uh, uh, one of the higher-ups in Qatar about um, using migrants to build the stadiums and them dying, he just, he collapsed. Dead. 48. Uh, his wife is a doctor, by the way, back in States, and uh, she's upset. Uh, his brother, uh, the guy he was supporting with the t-shirt, I guess took to social media and said that he does not believe that this was natural causes and I gotta agree with him this is kinda creepy I mean um, just to have that happen all of a sudden um, and I've got no evidence to prove that anybody's killed him but I mean if you got somebody who's being a pain in the ass at, like like uh, uh, Mr. Wall was being to some of these people over there you, you'd find a way for him to be silenced would you not I mean I, I it just it sucks and maybe it is just a weird coincidence, but the timing is just so eerie, uh, especially given some of the controversy about the games, the uh, the matches being held in such a tiny country. Um, and so there's going to be some questions about that, but I'm not sure if ultimately anything could be really proven, but uh, Grant Wall was only like 48 Jesus, um, uh, I, I don't know, I'm not sure if anything happened, if there's a cover-up, but uh, there was definitely a cover-up over Twitter. Uh, Michael Schellenberger, the latest author, latest reporter type person to uh, get the ball going on the Twitter files, and uh, him, Barry Weiss, and uh, Matt Taby have been uh, reporting on uh, how Twitter was uh, pretty much bending, breaking rules and everything, and you know, it's, it as crazy as January 6th was um, in D.C. with uh, the people that were walking and storming the, the Capitol and just, just just all that weirdness, it was pretty intense behind the scenes at Twitter. And with uh, this latest post with Schellenberger, it looked like Twitter was breaking its own rules to ban Donald Trump from, um, from uh, Twitter for life. Uh, they, they, and it was just kind of... It was kind of subjective policy, um, and it's it's a it's a pretty complex read. There's a lot of emails with this, but it just kind of goes to show you again. Twitter was not a place for uh, was not a marketplace for ideas. It was a place to control ideas and thought. And uh, 
you know, what, what they were saying is, it, it got to the point where there was that controversial tweet that uh, Trump put out. And they were pretty much either uh, deleting those tweets if they were shared, uh, if screenshots were shared, some people's accounts were suspended because of this. That it got to the point where, like, well, what if we get somebody that uh, posts a screenshot of this tweet and says, you know, I don't agree with the sentiment, but censorship is wrong. You know, they were kind of making up the rules as they were going along. It, it was, it's very fascinating to look at this stuff. Um, and I'll try to post a link of that uh, on the podcast page um, because it's it's a lot to get through. You know, the, the last three um, threads were a lot to get through. Um, and January 6th in itself is kind of a mess. But I think, uh, the, you know, going back, I think it was Bari, her her uh, Twitter files where it was, uh, they were alluding how a, a doctor had uh, his uh, arguments against Fauci uh doing this social distancing, closing the schools, saying, hey, this is going to be bad in the long term for kids, educational and social development. And now we've got all these studies and these uh, results back from academic years proving him right. But he was he was essentially shadow banned. So I'm, I'm wondering how many of these freaking Twitter files are there out there? And, uh, like, how extensive did the thought control uh, try to be? And, you know... I'm sure a lot of Trump supporters are going to be on board with the Trump thing, and I get that. But uh, to me, uh, the the whole COVID thing, like like even before the September, the Jan- I'm sorry, the January sixth stuff. I mean, you're talking about a good eight months before the, or not eight months, ten months before that, and how information was managed. I, I want to see more of that. But uh, we'll see what they got on hand. Uh, one thing I want to see less of is Harry and Meghan. Uh, those those dingbats, um, they're at it again. They got their own thing on Netflix, which is unfortunate. I mean, it's not like I'm going to be like forced to watch it with my eyes taped open, or you. I hope you're not in that type of situation. But uh, they're, they're kind of gaslighting uh, the way people perceive them. Because I, I remember distinctly, Years back, they wanted to get away from the royal circus, the royal family, and they wanted to, you know, when you hear step back, you're like, okay, you want to take it easy, you want to take it quiet, you want to live your own life, fine. I was like, I, I'm i not a royal watcher, I'm not that into the royal family, if that was what they wanted to do, you know, live their own lives privately, cool, I'm all for that. It turned out not to be like that at all, and a lot of uh, infighting in the out and open, and the allegations of racism, and how old-fashioned the Queen was, and all this other stuff, and blah, 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 they kept going on, and it's still going on. And, you know, if, if the Oprah inf- uh, interview from two years back wasn't enough, there's now this special, this, this docuseries on Netflix, which some people will watch, where they're explaining their side of things. And they're kind of gaslighting people in the fact that, well, when we said we were taking a step back, we didn't necessarily say we wanted to be private. We just didn't want to be involved with the royals. You know, if, if you guys were actually more private about the breakup with you and that family, I think you would have more sympathetic people towards you. But you keep bitching about them. It's like that's the only thing you guys can do. And, and Megan's an actress, for Christ's sake. You tell me she couldn't find work in Hollywood? It doesn't take much talent. Believe me, I've seen some things on television. Uh, you know, 
you don't think Harry could find, uh, you know, basically a, an empty seat job where he collects a paycheck out in California? I mean, just the prestige of, oh, hey, we got a former royal on staff. You know, you guys could have taken the high life, the quiet life, you know, you and your kids, whatever. But you keep taping yourselves. And you know, one of the other things they pointed out was the fact that uh, uh, when they were shooting this series, uh, it wasn't even in their house. They used some scenes in a mansion. Um, just to show how real and down-to-earth they are. I mean, yeah, if it's a former royal couple, they're not going to live in a duplex. I get that. But they're not even using the house that they are living in for this damn thing. I mean... God damn, that's just so fake. <laughs> but they can't help themselves. And the thing is, is like there's a public that keeps enabling them to do this. They're basically the non-royal royals. And we can't get them to shut the F up because, well, there's people that keep listening to their side of the story. Like, what's it going to change? There's not going to be like a, a French Revolution to get rid of the wax figures in Buckingham Palace, okay? Let it go. Um, I will say this uh, about about our frenemies across the pond. Uh, the Brits do have a great sense of humor, a dry sense of humor that I tried to emulate in one pub over there. Holy crap, this is great. Uh, they've got a beer on tap in honor of uh, former Prince Harry. It's called Harry's Bitter. And it's a bitter beer. Um, and, uh, I guess it's, uh, got weak alcoholic content, like 3.9% BAC. <laughs> it's like Mormon beer right there. I mean, that's, that's a slap in the face. I tell you what, though, if there's a, like a wine bar or a winery over in England, you guys, you gotta do a Megan's wine type of thing and figure out how you market that. Uh, but the, the, the Harry's bitter beer. Uh, that is definitely something I would try, even if it was weak. By the way, uh, somebody posted this online. I don't know who this was. I think it's a friend of a friend of a friend. Uh, but there's a liquor store over in Illinois that was selling uh, beers. Uh, and I and I want to see if I can find this here in Indiana. It's it's weird because it looks like a microbrewery thing. So I mean, that may not be available to me here. But uh, the likenesses of John Candy and Steve Martin from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. There's a, a Planes, Trains, and Automobiles beer I would definitely definitely uh, sample that if I saw that alright so you got um, uh, the non-royal royal still bitching on um, social media and, and Netflix and all that Jennifer Lawrence is having to you know walk back a really dumbass comment uh, I, I, we kind of chided her a little bit uh, last podcast because she said she was like the first female action star it was unprecedented before the Hunger Games even though Linda Hamilton, uh, Sigourney Weaver. If you want to go back to the black exploitations of Pam Greer, how about that? Uh, Uma Thurman uh, doing her Kill Bill thing. Uh, you know, there's been some female action stars out there. Um, but uh, Jennifer Lawrence uh, thought that, you know, she was, you know, setting new uh, new trend, breaking new ground. And, you know, she was doing this with some celebrity uh, interview, and uh, she she's walking back, and she goes, I, it came out wrong, I apologize, I was just nervous to be in the presence of living legend Viola Davis. And I'm not knocking Viola Davis, but for Christ's sake, uh, Jennifer, you've been in the spotlight as an actress for so long, 
you know, you, you see somebody like Viola Davis, yeah, you revere what she's done, but you don't go all the fangirl, okay? You, you, you have to have some sort of professionalism. And, you know, you kind of have to, you know, honor what came before you, is what I'm getting at. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Hunger Games, I don't know, like, is there any staying power with that franchise? I remember my wife was into it for a bit. And we watched the movies, but she hasn't really, like, since that last one, I can't remember the last time she sat down and watched The Hunger Games. I'll have to ask her about that. It wasn't necessarily a bad franchise. It was just kind of like, okay, this is a young adult thing. And uh, it's like it's like a Baby's First Running Man. If you've ever seen The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's basically the premise for Hunger Games. But... I don't think Jennifer Lawrence has ever seen an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Um, all right, so she's apologized. Moving on. Um, for those who think that shoplifting is not a victimless crime, and I'm going to get probably the people uh, on the far left who go, well, you know, they're, they're the, the CEOs and everything, they're all the money. It's corporate greed, blah, freaking blah. Um, you know, it takes a lot of money to uh, operate stores, right? Um and I, and I can attest to this because when I was working down at Kokomo and Radio, one of our biggest advertisers at the time was a meat market with three uh, locations in town. And he spent big money with us, this uh, local meat market guy. And big damn Al Warner was the account executive that handled that. And uh, he and Al got along great. And Al was just a tremendous salesman. And he's like one of the few radio salesmen that uh, I can honestly say knew a thing or three about radio um but now was telling me about how like uh what a lot of people don't realize when he's spending all this money is that how razor thin that profit margin is for a meat market or a grocery store for that matter because your profits are so low because of all the potential spoilage you have with produce and all that other stuff and plus you know building th buildings and all that you know Basically, to uh, grow your business or to keep the business you have floating. Well, um, the CEO of Walmart has recently come out and said that uh, theft is a little bad this year. Just a little bit. Uh, in the fiscal year alone, Walmart has lost $400 million with an M damn dollars due to shoplifting. That's how much uh, loss prevention or... Um, how much loss that loss prevention has not been able to stop. Okay, so $400 million company-wide due to shoplifting. That's crazy when you think about it. Uh, they say that compared to last year, shoplifting is up 50%. And it's gotten to the point where Walmart is saying, hey, if uh, we can't stop this, if things don't trend backwards a bit and uh, you know people don't act like they're, they're on the set of Mad Max, they're going to have to close a few stores. And, yeah, you, again, you know, those people that are like, uh, shoplifting is a victimless crime. Well, let me ask you something. Why do you think there's so many self-checkout lines at Walmart? It's a cost-cutting uh, measure, right? And, you know, you have to think that maybe, just maybe, uh, walking out with uh, a pizza or plasma screen TV might might be the cause of that in the long run. Fewer employees to help customers that are actually spending money to pay. And now you're talking about closing stores. And it's not like Walmart 
is a struggling store necessarily. It's one of the top retailers in the world, even with Amazon uh, and people buying crap online. So now you got Walmart out there saying, hey, look, uh, if you don't stop this, we're, we're losing money. We're going to have to close some stores. And I tell you what, the, the, the people that are concerned with the food desert um, theory, where, you know, there's uh, not a lot of stores in areas where there's not a lot of business and there's high crime. Uh, what stores do you think Walmart is going to close first? The ones out in the suburbs, ones out in rural areas, or the ones in the city? I'm not sure if there's any uh, Walmarts out in San Francisco because I think the uh, even before crime went downhill, a, a lot of citizens would have recoiled at the horror of seeing somebody in yoga pants and a thong uh, shopping at Walmart. Um, but uh, that places like that, places like Philadelphia, places like Chicago, that's where Walmart, I think, would look first to start closing stores if they decide to do it. But we don't live in uh, decent times right now. It's uh, me first, damn it, times is basically what that's what, what's going on with that. I just found that to be a very interesting comment, uh, especially ahead of the holidays. By the way, I did kind of a quick check um, of uh, white Christmas chances here, northeast Indiana. It's, uh, it, it looks like your better chances of snow this year for Christmas are going to be north of the Ohio River. And they got us down uh, here in northeast Indiana, 40 to 50% chance of a white Christmas. We're three weeks out. And, and who knows, it may not be nothing, maybe rain, maybe sun. Maybe 50 Christmas Day, but uh, I did look uh, ahead to next week, and they're looking, talking about really cold-ass temperatures, so who knows? Maybe that does happen. Maybe. And like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll get you an update about uh, the, uh, the the year in rock, seeing if, uh, uh, what, what's going on with that. I do have at least one person lined up for that, and uh, he's always fun to kind of talk to about uh, rock music, so... There you have it. Until next episode, stay fresh, cheese bags. You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at Facebook.com backslash M Davidson Live. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live.